You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. He wants to go skydiving. I only see like, oh well, yeah, I only, I only see like three of you. What's, 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 the, what's the deal? Is there someone in the bag? Okay. I see that in, and I've got proof. I've got proof you're in. We're going right after the service. Man, I remember my first jump out of an airplane. It was probably 12 years ago. We went to a place in northwest Houston, a place called Waller. Now, this, this drop zone is non-existent, and there's a, there's a pretty good reason why. So they, they told me and my friends, we, need, we want you to get here by 8 o'clock in the morning. So, whew, man, we, we stomach our nerves and everything, and we show up at 8 o'clock in the morning, and no one is there. I mean, it is empty. Knock on the doors, no one's there. We start looking around. I start hearing some music around in another hangar around the corner. So I walk around the hangar, and it's kind of, the door is sort of open, so I kind of jerk it open a little bit, and I see this guy inside this hangar, and it's obviously his living quarters, and he's exercising. I see his backside, and he's exercising. He's got music blaring, and I walk up behind him because I need to know what's going on. And I tap him on the shoulder, and he drops his dumbbells and gets all scared and everything. I said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm here to skydive. And I said, I don't see anybody. Oh, they'll get here when they get here. Obviously, a well-organized drop zone. I'm, my, my nerves are, are, are getting worse. And finally, they show up and they say, okay, I need you to watch this video. I need you to sign this stack of papers uh, and that has a bunch of words like death and injury and you won't sue us and all that kind of... So we signed all that and we watched this video about the history of skydiving. They bring us through some instructional stuff on how to, how to arch. And, 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 and what it was is you're, you're jumping with, with an instructor. It's called tandem. Has anybody ever tandem jumped before? Somebody has. Yeah. Sweet. So your jumps, you actually don't jump with a parachute. You jumped with a guy who has a parachute. And that's, that's a good thing. So he, he's got your back, I, I hope. So usually you jump out of a bigger plane. So we're walking out. I'm walking out of the, of the building with this tandem instructor. And he's making jokes like, man, I, I probably shouldn't have that extra beer this morning, you know, or, or man, I've really been really depressed lately and stuff like that. You know, all kinds of jokes. Ha, ha, ha. Very, very funny. Yeah. Shut up and just get me on the plane, okay? And so we, we, walk, we walk towards this plane, and I look, and I see the engine hanging by two wires. And I'm, now I'm thinking, I probably shouldn't jump here. This is probably not a good place to go. And he goes, that's not our plane. I was like, I, I figured that. <laughs> You're smart. So we walk around to a smaller plane, almost the size of a Cessna, a small plane. And because it's a smaller plane, you couldn't stand up straight like this. You had to be scrunched down the whole time and seated. So we get in the plane, and it starts up, the engine start up, and it takes off, and we start corkscrewing up to 14,000 feet, two and a half miles in the air. On the way there, around 6,000 feet, the guy, my instructor, I don't even remember his name, let's say Danny. Danny says, okay, Chad, I need you to come sit in my lap. You thought I was scared before. But this just, you know, I just don't play that way. 
But I understood, okay, fine, you, this is how the story goes, this is what I need to do. So I went and I sat in this guy's lap, and he buckles me here, and he buckles me here, and he buckles himself to me here, and right here, and then he takes some straps and he pulls me in really tight. And he pulls me in really tight, and you can't put water between us. I mean, it is tight. And so then, then, he, then, the, then we finally get up to the 14,000 foot level where we're supposed to jump, the red light turns green, the doors open, a rush of cold air blasts in our face, and he says, okay, now we need to wobble over to the door. Now, usually, it's, it's walking like this because it's a bigger plane, but I got this guy strapped so tightly to my backside, and we're wobbling like this, closer to the door, and I'm at the door, I'm looking down 14,000 feet, and I don't know what I'm more scared of, the guy behind me, and what this feels like, or that right there. Now he says, now you remember what I say on the count of three, one, two, and he just goes, he just pushes me out the door. Now the problem with the smaller plane is it was traveling a lot slower than what they were used to with the bigger plane. So with the bigger plane, you're going faster, you jump out, you don't, it doesn't feel like, you know, roller coasters, that first drop, whoo, your stomach goes up into your throat. You don't really have that feeling in a bigger plane because it's going fast and you hit relative wind and you just kind of ride down what they call the hill. But this was not the bigger plane. This was the smaller plane and it slowed down a lot. And when we jumped, we didn't hit relative wind like he was used to and ride down the hill, we actually fell out of the plane and were flipping. And I'm thinking, oh, I didn't pay extra for this. <laughs> Man, this is great. This guy must really like me. He's like, I'm going to show this guy a good time. And we're, we're flipping out. I was like, this is cool. I'm seeing plane ground, plane ground. The plane's getting smaller and the planet's getting bigger. And I didn't know until the video watching afterwards, I'm enjoying this. And he's flailing his arms and legs like, this is not supposed to be happening like this. And he finally pulls what's called the stabilizer chute, what we'll call it, that kind of keeps us stable. And we finally get a good belly fly, which is, which is what it was called. And we landed safely. I don't know if you knew that or not, but we, we, we landed safely. The guy had 4,500 jumps, and he says, that was probably the scariest jump I've ever had. We were not supposed to flip like that. Now you tell me. Okay. But you know what? You know what the funnest part of that the funnest part of it happened before I ever fell out of that airplane. Because right before we went, there were some fun jumpers, the single jumpers. And I remember seeing this girl, she was probably in her 20s, I don't remember, and she stood outside the plane like this. And she just looks around like this and looks down and goes, and just falls out. And it's like Superwoman, just falling. I was like, that's what I want to do. You see, ever since I was a kid, I used to dream that I could fly. Anybody dream that you can fly at night when you're sleeping? So some of you my age, do you remember the old 80s show? It was so cheesy. The Greatest American Hero. You remember The Greatest American Hero? This guy thought he knew how to fly. He would run and he would just fly and he'd fall into buildings, stuff like that. That was my dream, okay? I wasn't like Superman saving people. I was trying to swim through the air, you know? I really wasn't going anywhere. But, but at least I could fly and show off in front of my friends. When I saw her do like that, I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. And then years later, I went and got my skydiving license, and I started jumping out. 
and flying, and it was fulfilling. It was my dreams come true. And my, my dream of flying at night, they went away. Because I was actually doing I was flying. Well, it wasn't really flying. It's falling with style. You know what movie that came from? Come on, what movie? Toy Story. That's my man right there. Falling with style. Man, I was living my dream. Living it up. Doing what I always wanted to do. That's what I'm doing now. Life living, lived to the fullest. Not that there's no struggles or pain, but, but life thriving, not just surviving. That's not how my life always was. Let's back up a few years. My life several years ago was riddled by anxiety and depression. And those are two things that no one enjoys talking about. And I bet you if I asked you to raise your hands if you battle <clears throat> anxiety and or depression, at least half of you would raise your hand. But no one wants to. Because it's internal. It's weak. It's painful. No one wants to talk about these kinds of pains. I remember the worst panic attack I ever had. It was serving with Robin. Actually, it really was. <laughs> but it wasn't Robin's fault. But I remember that it was during the time that we worked together at this church. And I remember in my, I mean, the, the day was just horrible. And I remember in the, the darkest part of it, I'm in my walk-in closet and I'm on the floor and just every Every muscle in my body is just tense, and I'm reeling back and forth, and I just got, I don't know what's happening, but I just can't do this anymore. I just can't handle this anymore, and I don't even know what I'm panicking about, but it just feels like that I'm walking on thin ice, and something bad is going to happen, or something bad is happening. I don't even know what it is, and really for me, these, these anxiety attacks really felt more like I'm in the middle of an ocean. I bet many of you are going to get this. I'm in the middle of an ocean. And I'm trying to tread water. But it's not just in the middle of the ocean. There's a great storm all about me. A wild hurricane swirling all around. And I'm battling the waves. And I'm trying to stay. and trying to keep my, my head above the water. And I'm fighting this anxiety, fighting these attacks over and over again. And after a while, I, I start sinking down because I just get exhausted from the anxiety. And I start sinking down into depression and I need, a, I, need a, I need a gulp of air, so I'll go try and squeeze up, push up, and get a gulp of air and slide down again. That's what it felt like for me for years. I didn't even know what panic attacks were when I was having them. No one talked about these things. Maybe it's my personality. Maybe it's my makeup that I'm more prone to anxiety and depression. Many people are. My wife had no idea what anxiety attacks were. and She was really afraid for me. My dad had no idea what anxiety attacks were. They, ne they didn't battle depression. They never have They've had depressing moments. But they have battled the three furies. And for me, the three furies was the main cause of my anxiety and depression. And I guarantee every single one, look at me, every single one of you, look at me, thank you, every single one of you have battled the three furies. 
I know I have. Allow me to introduce them to you, like you don't already know them. This one over here, he's, uh, he's tall, he's got a dark hood over, and he's faceless. All three of them are faceless, and his name is Fear. Fear likes, fear likes to, to whisper, and sometimes he gets louder, sometimes he shouts, and the things that he shouts to us are things like, you're going to die if you try this. You're not going to make it. That business you're trying to start, you know you're going to fail. The marriage you're trying to heal, you know it's not going to work. The sickness you have, it's likely going to kill you. Life for you stinks. So you might as well give up. There is no hope. You ever heard that before? You ever heard, you ever heard fear talk before? Oh, he's good. I mean, he's, he's bad, but he's really good at what he does. That's fear. Over here in the middle, we have this guy. He's also dark-hooded, also faceless. His name is Shame. Well, Shame, shame is strong with his words. Shame speaks. Shame shouts right in your ears. And he says, you are worthless. No one values you. No one approves you. You're not good at anything. <laughs> My brother, failure, he's right. You're going to fail because you deserve it. There is no hope. So you might as well give up. You're worthless. You're valueless. Remember what your dad used to tell you? He's right. You're not good for anything. Then we have this guy over here. You notice I, I use male figures, not female. My wife promised me. I, I promised my wife I wouldn't use females. It's all, all, all males, all males. This guy over here, he's also dark-hooded, no face. We've got fear, shame, and his name. Could you guess? Guilt. Guilt kind of builds on some of their, their words, but he just slides right to the heart. And he reminds you, I remember what you did last night. You remember? Well, you're dirty. You're broken. You're worthless because you're a sinner, because you're evil. You should be afraid because you deserve whatever bad's coming to you because you're a broken person. You're unusable. And because of that, you might as well give up, because there's no hope. I was really good listening to those three figures. Man, they were surrounding me, and I'm in the middle of my ocean, and the storm is surrounding me, and I'm listening to fear shout at me, and shame shout at me, and, and guilt shout at me. And then the problem was I started to believe them. I started believing what they were saying. And then after a while, I've just, I would just sink down because each of, the, each of these three figures, fear, shame, and guilt, were holding on to a giant chain. Each of them had their own chains, and the chains ran deep into my ocean. And they were pulling up the beast called depression. And they were pulling up, and finally the beast would see me and, and pull me down like jaws underwater. And I would sink into depression for a while. And my cycle was, I would be depressed for a few months, and then I would, finally I would just come out of it, and i feel like, oh... 
maybe life was getting a little bit better, and then I would hear the voices again. Hear those voices, they're starting, I start believing them. And then they would pull up, I would get exhausted from the anxiety, and they would pull up the beast, and he would grab me again and pull me down under. It was in the middle of this, this whole scene. I was pastoring a small church in Galveston County, way south of Houston. And on August 23rd, 2010, my phone rang after a series of tests run on our eight-year-old daughter, Christina. I'm sitting on our bed with my wife in our room with the door closed, and I got the phone on speaker, and I say, yes, doctor. And I hear these words no parent ever wants to hear. Mr. and Mrs. Barrett, I'm so sorry. Your daughter has cancer. And it was like all the oxygen was sucked out of the room. Like this, this is somebody else's movie. This isn't mine. This doesn't belong to me and my wife. Whose daughter? Not, not ours. You got the wrong number. Boy, fear got loud. You ever have those what-if questions? You know, those nasty what-if questions. There's good what-if questions. Hey, what if Alabama wins first again this year, man? Woo! You're welcome, Al. Who? Ohio? (laughs) Oh, I, I shouldn't have said that. We have police officers to escort me out as soon as this is over. There's good what-if questions, but then there's those nasty what-if questions. Any parents of teenagers in the house this morning? You got teenagers? Any parents with teenagers? Two people. The rest of you, you're lying to me because you know you're scared to death. What is he going to say? Does your teenagers drive? Any teenagers? that? Yeah, yeah. Then you've had the what-if questions. You know, you've had the, oh, what-if what if there's a drunk driver that runs a red light and plows right in? What, what if they break down the side of the road and some creep says, I'll help you? What, what, if, what if these bad things happen? Man, I was really good at this what if questions. I, I'm creative. i got a creative mind, and I can think of, I mean, yeah, I like telling stories, and sometimes I think of the worst stories. I can think of scenarios of, oh my gosh, this could actually happen. It's like I'm watching a movie of something bad happening to my kids, and Man, that would be so horrible, and I start getting panic attacks, and God is saying, none of that's real. Yeah, but it could be, you know, I'm thinking about all of this. Well, those what-if questions really started started digging deep after August 23rd, 2010. I did the mistake of Googling clear cell sarcoma. That was her diagnosis of soft tissue, rare soft tissue sarcoma. And I approached Dr. Thompson, who we became very close to. Got to share the gospel with him, too. Came very close to Dr. Thompson. Amazing man, amazing doctor. Love him. And I said, I, I, uh, <clears throat> I googled clear cell sarcoma. And he goes, oh, let's come out in the hall and talk about this. And her, diagno- her prognosis was listed as very poor. And the, 
The what if question that was just in, in the front of my mind was, was obvious. What if she dies and I do too? What if she dies and my family falls apart? They're destroyed. What if, what if she dies a horrible, painful death? I know cancer patients have. What if, all, what if my life is just ruined? What if my da- other daughters and my son? And what, if, what if my I, I know parents who have had kids who battle cancer and it splits their marriage. What if that happens? What if, what if, what if, what if? Oh man, it just overwhelms me. And listening to those voices, those what if questions came right from this guy over here. Fear. And he wasn't just saying what if, he was saying they are. These things are going to happen. And your life will be destroyed. Well, then I began to listen to a different voice. I heard somebody else's voice. And it it took me a while, and I didn't do this by myself. I was surrounded by a group of people who, who was the voice of Jesus who began to speak truth and to speak life. And then I, I remember seeing, I remember thinking, okay, which, which voice do I follow? I mean, I mean, she could die. This could be really bad, but I, got, I needed to determine whose voice I want to listen to, and I was getting confused. I was getting more scared. And then there was a passage that, that just really God used to, to really change my thinking. It's probably a familiar passage, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 7, Paul says, this is the Apostle Paul, this is right after he's seen some incredible visions, and he could easily be boastworthy and bragging and prideful about all this. And he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure, I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, And lest I be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. This is most likely, most scholars think this is a, was a physical affliction. The word buffet me literally meant beat me. Whatever it was, it just kept beating Paul down day after day. And then Paul said, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord one time, said, hey, can, can, can you take care of this? And he just kind of forgot about it. No, that's not what the text says. He says, I, I, I asked the Lord just a couple of times, hey, Jesus, would you remember this? I prayed about this yesterday. Would you just go ahead and take care of this? That'd be great. And then you forgot about it. No, that's, that's not what the text says either. He says, literally, it was over and over. And he says, I pleaded with the Lord three times, three times that it might depart from me. You ever begged Jesus to deliver you from something painful? Yeah, Jesus, just please. Please, I'll get on my knees. Would you please just take this from me? This is too painful. I can't, I can't bear this anymore. I, I, I want to live for you. I want to do right. I want to live right. But this thing in my life is too much that I could bear. I remember people, good-willed people, trying to use a verse that was really taken out of its context and, and saying, it was also in, it was in 1 Corinthians, and it was saying, hey, look, God is not going to give you anything more than you can bear, okay? So you're going to be okay. And that is a big, fat lie. God will not allow you to go through any temptation that is not inescapable, that is 
not inescapable. You can always escape temptation, which is what that verse literally means. But God does allow us to go through suffering that we can't bear. Because if we could bear it, we wouldn't need God. What, what parent can bear, can be okay with the potential death of his child? No one. Not you and not me. Especially not me because I'm already riddled with this anxiety and, and depression stuff. He pleads with the Lord over and over again, would you please take this from me? And Jesus said, no. That's not fair. That's not fair, Jesus. I'm trying. I mean, can't you see? I'm, I'm the, the apostle. You trained me physically in presence for three years out in the wilderness. I thought we were good here. I, I, I thought you loved me. I thought you were a good God. I thought good, being a good God and loving God, you wouldn't allow me to experience this while, while I'm trying to serve you. This is a distraction. But Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your pain. Think about the pain that you're going through right now, the suffering you're going through right now. My, strength is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your suffering, in your trial. My strength is made perfect in your suffering. My grace is sufficient. You, know you know what I used to think my grace is sufficient meant? I'm in this ocean, and it's this hurricane swirling all around me. The waves are crashing. Lightning's popping everywhere. And I'm, I'm under the water, and I try and, I try and swim my way up and get my head above the surface of the water and take another breath of grace before I go, have to go back down underneath again. That's what I thought grace is sufficient. I thought my grace is sufficient for you to just survive. That's what I used to think grace was. See, I was reading and interpreting Scripture based upon my experience. Well, that's what that verse means because this is how I feel. But I began understanding that I was looking at Scripture backwards and I began, I began interpreting my experience based on Scripture instead of interpreting Scripture based on my experience. And I started thinking, if grace is just enough for me to survive, what kind of grace is that? kind of a sorry grace. It's not very good. You know, sometimes Jesus calms the storm. You remember when, you remember when Jesus was asleep at the bottom of the boat? You know, the waves are rocking him to sleep, and he's just soothing and relaxing back and forth. Some of you are getting really sleepy right now. Chad, would you wrap this up? Some of you are getting seasick. Chad, stop it right now. This is, this is horrible. <laughs> and a, a disciple goes down and says, Jesus, Jesus, don't you care about us? Wake up and do something. And Jesus stands up, stretches. Oh, he yawns. He goes, all right, what's going on? And he walks up to the surface top of the boat and he sees the bad storm and the disciples have got their buckets and they're scooping the water out because that's what they do in the movie. So apparently that's what they were doing back then, you know, scooping the water out. And then, they, and, then, and then all of a sudden, the, the winds just calm, and the clouds dissipate, and the, 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 the water comes to almost a glass top. 
and they look over at Jesus and they drop their buckets and he's got his hand stretched out and he just, he just said the words, peace, be still. Sometimes Jesus calms the storm, but sometimes he walks into your storm and he calms the person inside the storm. See, there's a reason why Jesus said no to Paul. And there's a reason why Jesus said no to me when I begged him, save my daughter, deliver my daughter. Please keep my daughter from dying. Please heal my daughter. Jesus says, no, I want you to see something so much more powerful about me that you will never see if I calmed your storm. I believe that if Jesus would not have if Jesus would not have, if Jesus would have delivered Paul from the pain, then Paul would never be able to write the book of Philippians and Colossians. Because he wrote those books from the prison cell. Philippians, telling people how to have joy and be unified. And oh, by the way, I'm in prison. <laughs> what kind of man is able to do that? A man, only a man who has experienced the powerful grace of God in his life, that where now he looks at suffering as, oh yeah, I know this hurts, but I cannot wait to see the grace of Jesus in this. It's going to blow me and my friends away. Because that's who Jesus is. He doesn't allow us to die in our suffering. He allows us to walk on top of the water in it. Don't you understand? That's the grace of Jesus. It's, grace is not something we say before mealtime. You might say Grace. Grace, she died 30 years ago. Remember that movie? That's not grace. Grace is something that comes down in you like a, like a dynamite power and ignites your life. And you see Jesus doing something so spectacular in your life and you can't help but tell others about it. And you're not just surviving, you're thriving. And the world turns its head and goes, how did you do that? June 21st, 2014. I felt my daughter's last heartbeat with this hand. Worst day of my life. I shouldn't be alive today either. I should have taken my own life. Because fear, shame, and guilt were my life. Anxiety and depression were my life. But I tell you, that was the most painful day, but that was the most powerful day in my life. Because I saw the grace of Jesus change my heart. I already believed in Him as my Savior. From years ago, when I was a kid. But I never felt closer to Jesus than I did in the midst of my storm. And when storms come up, I know Jesus is just inside. And if He wants to dissipate the storm and remove the storm from me, I praise Him. But if He wants to walk in the storm with me, God, Chad, i got to show you something, but you got to walk in the storm with me. Come on, get up on top, like I did with Peter, and let's walk together. And I see something about Jesus new every time, and it makes me stronger and stronger. And I'll tell you, those three guys, 
They've been silenced. They've been, they've been overwhelmed by the voice of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Who, the one who doesn't drag me underneath, but he lifts me up on top of the water. And then he lifts me up on top of the mountain on the very summit where I look down and go, I cannot believe you did this in my life. Cannot believe you did this in my life. Those three guys, fear, shame, and guilt. Actually, I lied to you. I'm sorry. I lied. Let me confess this. Al, I apologize. I lied to your whole church. I told you they were faceless. Well, they're not. If you look really close, if you look really close under the hood of fear, shame, and guilt, you'll begin to see face appear. And that face is revealed in my book. And you'll have to buy the book and read it, and you'll figure it out then. Shameless plug. Thanks, brother, for letting me do that. Appreciate it. The voice of Jesus. So I want to ask you a question, guys. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Because you know the way we were created? We were created that what we think determines how we feel. And what we feel determines our behavior. And our behavior determines our consequences. What we think is where it begins. Who are you listening to that determines your thoughts? The same apostle who Jesus says, no, but my grace is sufficient, wrote Philippians. And he says, stop being anxious. Instead, be thankful and think about these things. Whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is of good report, whatever is praiseworthy, think about these things. And the God of peace will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what the word guard literally means? It was used as a Roman, a Roman cohort guarding some treasure that is, will not let the enemy penetrate If you think about the things of Jesus, instead of these three stupid people, you think about the things of Jesus that comes from his word and not the nasty what-ifs. If you listen to the voice of Christ who loves you and gave his life for you and conquered death, you listen to his voice, you start thinking the things that he thinks. You start thinking upon his words and his peace begins to guard your heart in your mind, and the enemy cannot penetrate. Fear, shame, and death, fear, shame, and guilt have no power over you anymore. I stand before you as a man who, hey, I've, I've still experienced some anxiety and some, a little bit of depression every now and then. But just moments, common, when something scary may happen. And fear may go, hey, and I go, uh-uh. And I listen to Jesus instead. I now have the tools. And anxiety and depression have no longer a power over me. And they never will. I shouldn't be alive today. I stand before you as a testimony of the grace of Jesus. And I can tell you, if I can walk on water, so can you. And if you don't know Jesus, i got some bad news for you. The bad news is that we've all sinned, every one of us. Romans 3.23 says it, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. None of us reach His glory because of our sin. The bad news gets worse. Romans 6.23 says the wages of our sin is death, eternal separation from God. 
But here's the good news. See, God didn't like it like that. The good news is Christ died for our sins. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrated His own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That word for is so important. If, if I went to my daughter's deathbed before she died, and I had this power, and I took the cancer out of her and put it in me, what would happen to me? You may answer out loud. I would, I would die. What would happen to my daughter? She would, I would have died for her, instead of her, in place of her. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and me. He died in our place. You can pay for your own sin by spending eternity apart from him in a place called hell. But that's not what he created hell for in the first place. And the good news gets better. You can be saved from your sin by faith in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 5 says, For by grace we are saved through faith. It's not of works, not of ourselves, lest anyone can brag about. It's only what Christ did. And that word faith, it's the same word as believe. It comes from the same root word in the Greek language in the New Testament. Believe, faith. Like you are believing those pews are holding you up. You, do you believe, are you believing that you can be good enough to get to heaven? Or are you believing that Jesus was good enough and his death on the cross was sufficient enough to satisfy God's wrath on sin? That's his grace. It's that powerful. He is that loving. He is that beautiful. He is that strong. He is God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me, please? Oh, there may be some of you sitting in here going, you know what, I've heard this stuff about Jesus dying on the cross, but I never really did anything with it. But now is your chance to do something about it. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The question for you I ask is, what are you going to do with Jesus? He loved you enough to die for you. The Father loved you enough to send His only child, His only son. Listen, I've had a child die. It hurts, but it didn't come close to the hurt that the Father felt when his son died and had your sin and my sin blamed and placed upon him. But he conquered death by rising from the dead three days later. What are you trusting in to get to heaven? You can, you can tell God right now, I know I'm a sinner and there's nothing I can do to earn my way to heaven. But I tell you, I believe that your son Jesus died for me. And I believe he rose from the dead. And I am trusting in his payment for my sin to save me. I am trusting in Jesus to save me. We're going to have pastors come forward here. And if you would like someone to pray with, someone to talk to, someone to say, can you explain this more to me? Or can you just pray with me? Or maybe you want to come tell somebody, I just, I just pray, I just ask Jesus to save me. Then I, you're, you're welcome to come forward and to talk to one of these men.
You're welcome to just get up right where you are. It doesn't mean you're not saved if you don't. But this is an opportunity for you to share this good news with someone already. And maybe you're sitting there, you're thinking, I've been overwhelmed by fear, shame, and guilt. This is too much on me. Chad, I want what you've got. I've trusted Jesus as my Savior, but life is just too much for me. It's too painful. I've begged Jesus over and over again. I need to know His grace right now. Well, that's what these pastors are up here for. You're welcome to come out of your pew and say, I need you to pray with me. You can come do that now. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us and that your grace is real. And it's not just enough for us to survive, it's enough for us to thrive in our lives when we walk with you. Lord, I pray a special blessing on Lima Baptist Temple, on these people here to walk closer with you and to experience the all-surpassing, powerful grace that you love to give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you are encouraged today, and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.